Good morning. In today's headlines, the Biden administration has appealed a federal judge's ruling on an injunction in a social media censorship case. Hear the response from the White House. A new government report is shining a critical light on U.S. border security practices. It says agents let an illegal immigrant on the terrorist watch list go free to roam the country. Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin back in Russia. The mercenary chief was given permission to move to Belarus in his deal brokered with Moscow. And a Russian attack in Lviv today kills four people and injures over 30 others. Facebook parent company Meta releases a new app. The microblogging app called Threads is strikingly similar to Twitter. But will it be able to compete with it? Ice cream maker Ben & Jerry surprised many with its 4th of July message. It says the U.S. was founded on stolen indigenous land and that it's time to return it, starting with Mount Rushmore. And the movie that dives deep into the morbid reality of human trafficking finally hits the screens and went well beyond expectation at the box office. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, July 6th. And hey, Kevin, the Musk and Zuckerberg psychological fight has begun. Meta's new app thread is out. And Zuckerberg said 10 million have joined only in the first few hours. Really? I wonder, you know, and I think many people are wondering if this will be able to replace Twitter, especially given the Twitter restriction. We have that story in very soon, so keep watching. But first, the Biden administration appealed a federal judge's ruling in a social media censorship case yesterday. The judge's preliminary injunction blocks agencies and officials from contacting social media firms to pressure them to censor or suppress content. It still allows contact over criminal activity or risks to national security. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the appeal. The lawsuit brought by Republican attorneys general in Louisiana and Missouri alleged U.S. government officials went too far to encourage social media companies to censor or suppress posts they consider disinformation. The preliminary injunction issued Tuesday bars government agencies like the DHS, CDC, and FBI from contacting social media companies around content moderation. The White House responded. We are going to continue to promote responsible actions to protect uh, public health, safety and uh, security when confronted by challenges like a deadly pandemic and foreign attacks on our elections. So we're going to continue uh, to be to, to do that in a to promote that in a responsible way. Social media companies specified in the lawsuit include Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, WhatsApp, TikTok and WeChat, among other platforms. Agencies and officials are prohibited from specifically flagging content or posts. Judge Terry Dowdy made exceptions for risks to national security or criminal activity. The White House defended the administration's communication with social media companies. Social media platforms have a critical responsibility to take action uh, or to, to take account of the effects of their platforms or having to the American people, but make independent choices about the information they present. Officials have said they were aiming to tamp down misinformation about COVID vaccines to curb preventable deaths. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has arrived in China. She's the second cabinet member to meet with Chinese Communist Party officials in less than a month. And today's Melina Weiskopf has the story. 
Yellen is trying to work out economic relations between the two largest economies in the world. This trip comes amid new tensions between Beijing and Washington over export controls. National Foreign Trade Council President Jake Colvin described the trip as one that's expected to help define a quote-unquote new normal. Yellen's trip is part of the Biden administration's plan to deepen communications with China, but some doubt its effectiveness. Here's what Congressman Mike Gallagher, who is the chairman of the Select China Committee in the House, told me just ahead of Secretary of State Antony Blinken's trip to China just a few weeks ago. The attempts by the administration to revive engagement after it's failed for 20 years, I just don't know what that achieves other than to force us to slow walk certain defensive actions, i.e. sanctions on key CCP officials related to the ongoing genocide. We have to figure out a way to reclaim our economic independence, to stop funding our own destruction, and to take the golden blindfolds off when it comes to the risks of doing business with Beijing, which we've seen again for 20 years. But Yellen is expected to tell her Chinese counterparts that the U.S. does not intend to decouple the two economies. But this is tricky because the U.S. still intends to protect human rights and protect national security. And although Yellen is mainly meant to focus on economic relations, she's expected to also warn CCP officials of the consequences they face if they do provide lethal aid to Russia. Reporting from Washington, D.C. Melina Weiskop, NTD News. The Secret Service is investigating the cocaine that was discovered in the White House on Sunday. They're checking visitor logs and looking at cameras. The substance was found in a cubby hole in a West Wing entry area where visitors place electronics and other belongings before going on tours. The West Wing is attached to the executive mansion where President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden live. It includes the Oval Office, cabinet room and workspace for presidential staff. Hundreds of people pass through the West Wing on a regular basis, including political staff, their guests and members of the press. Administration officials are able to offer tours of parts of the West Wing to friends and family members. People who are not members of staff must leave electronics and other belongings in the storage cubicles before taking a tour. Here's Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre responding. The President and the First Lady and their family were not here this weekend, as you all reported on this, and as you also know that they left on Friday and returned just yesterday. She added that the president thinks it's incredibly important to get to the bottom of it. Biden did not answer questions that reporters shouted at him about the cocaine on Wednesday. Possessions of cocaine, which is classified as, as a Schedule II drug, is a misdemeanor in Washington, D.C. In Florida, new laws targeting illegal immigration are taking effect. Florida authorities are now cracking down on driver's licenses issued to illegal immigrants. Here's the story. Driver's licenses issued to illegal immigrants in several states are invalid in Florida as of July 1st. The Florida Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles published a list of the invalid license classifications on its website. The move is in accordance with a comprehensive bill addressing illegal immigration. Florida state lawmakers passed the bill earlier this year and it went into effect July 1st. The list covers certain licenses issued in Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Rhode Island, and Vermont. They only apply to licenses that are not real ID compliant and not for federal identification. Over a dozen states in the country issue driver's licenses to illegal immigrants. 
Governor Ron DeSantis announced the publication on Wednesday, saying, Someone who is in our country illegally and has violated our laws should not possess a government-issued ID, which allows them access to state-funded services and other privileges afforded to lawful residents. The Biden administration may continue to abdicate its responsibilities to secure our border, but Florida will stand for the rule of law. The move comes as DeSantis is running for president. The Florida governor has campaigned on opposition to illegal immigration. He has promised to enact border policies more assertive than those under former President Trump. Border agents apprehended but then released a migrant on the terrorist watch list. It then took more than two weeks to take the potentially dangerous individual into custody due to a lack of coordination. The Office of Inspector General of the Department of Homeland Security released the troubling report last week. The incident happened in Arizona in April of last year. It says Border Patrol released the illegal immigrant without providing information requested by the FBI's terrorist screening center. The information would have confirmed the individual was on the terrorist watch list. Once a mistake was figured out, ICE faced multiple mishaps planning and conducting the arrest, leading to the long delay. Joining me now for more is Victor Avila. He is a retired special agent with ICE. Good morning, Victor. The report says that CBP officials sent information to the wrong email address. They also obtained a photo and other information, but also failed to share that with the FBI. And I'd just like to get your reaction on this first. How are these mistakes happening? Well, the first thing I could tell you, the, the mistakes are happening because of the rush and the imminent uh, you know, uh, speed that this administration is asking our border agents to process these individuals. And uh, I'll tell you from personal experience as working as an agent, uh, the words from my very first supervisor that I had when I became a special agent was sometimes you have to be slow and methodical. And in this day and age, this is what we have to be at the border because we miss individuals like this on the terror watch, this potential terrorists coming into the country. By the way, uh, this past fiscal year, we have over 170 that have been detected. And under this administration, over 200 individuals on the terror watches that, that have been detected. But in this case, it, it goes to show that it's a shame that we still have the issues with miscommunication or non-communication between agencies, not just like DHS, and Department of Justice and FBI, but within DHS. Remember, the CBP, uh, Customs and Border Protection, and Homeland Security Investigations, they're all under DHS. And uh, there's obviously a, a big, big uh, misfall here with the, the, the missing of this individual. When you talk about the speed of, uh, that they are expected to process, um, can you give us an update? How many people are crossing the border right now? Is, what is the update there? Uh, well, it hasn't stopped. A lot of people think that after Title 42 was lifted, somehow the border situation went away. And I'm here to tell you that it has not. Um, the deaths continue uh, at the border. The numbers continue to come in in the thousands per day. Um, just this past week and over the holiday weekend, we had four deaths, one of them an infant that drowned in the Rio Grande River. This continues to happen on a daily basis down at the southern border. Uh, border Patrol in some areas, almost 80% of them are not on the line 
patrolling our border, which allows the cartels to continue to smuggle the individuals that are not wanting to come in and turn themselves up into Border Patrol. And the fentanyl and methamphetamine and cocaine making it all the way to the White House, it is something that it is, uh, uh, cannot be overlooked and cannot, uh, we cannot stop talking about it because the crisis continues down there. Mm. And about the amount of people in the, on the terrorist watch list detected, are there any other cases like this where they just slip through the cracks that you know of? Absolutely. There, ha there has been other cases. Uh, another case that happened that went into uh, the individual was released and, and made it to Florida. And, and this is the, this is the, um, uh, the problem that, that I talk about all the time, that this is a national security and public safety issue that we deal with. You know, we could talk about Ill illegal immigration all the time. But um, this should be a nonpartisan issue when it comes to public safety and protecting our land on a potential terrorist attack. Um, I, I, I don't want to see another attack on our soil to have to wake us up to know that this is what's happening and individuals from uh, all over the world, over 150 different countries, are coming into this, our country, some of them for nefarious reasons. And on that note, what are these groups on those terrorist watch lists that commonly make it to the border? So uh, in the Department of Homeland Security, we call them SIAs or special interest aliens that come from uh, mostly terror-sponsored uh, countries, uh, Bangladesh, uh, Somalia, uh, countries like that, Iraq, uh, Pakistan. And so uh, we, we, we know them, we uh, identify them, uh, we know the countries that come, and we're encountering them at the southern border almost daily. And so the border agents, and we'll go back to the, 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 the processing uh, system that is set up right now, they don't have the time to vet each individual. It takes a while. I used to uh, vet individuals as an agent, and you cannot do it, do it in a five-minute interview. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of database checks. And by the way, we need to go back to sharing databases with other agencies. There are databases that Department of Homeland Security uses that Department of Justice does not. It's, it's mm -hmm. important that everyone have access here. Mm. Just 30 seconds, some dangerous loopholes there. What do you think is needed to increase the safety at the border? Well, uh, that's a great question. There's a lot, there's a lot here, but uh, let's start with enforcing our laws. Let's start with uh, enforcing our own asylum criteria. Most of these individuals are taking advantage of their policies under this administration. And right now, they're using the loophole of bringing a child uh, with a family member because this administration will not prosecute them if a child is present and we see an increase of child trafficking and, and the such. So uh, it's important to go back to enforce and continue to put the pressure on this administration that they must allow our agents to enforce the law. Thank you very much for breaking all this down for us. Victor Avila, I appreciate it. Thank you. More coverage coming up. Tense labor negotiations between UPS and the powerful Teamsters Union. Both sides are blaming each other for stepping away from the table. And the new meta app called Threads is out. Some are calling it a Twitter killer, but will it be able to live up to that hype? Hear from some social media analysts after the break. What does it mean to devote your life to the truth? Does it mean investigating communist subversion here in America? Does it mean exposing the deadly fentanyl crisis in the Midwest? Or spending late nights and covering deep government corruption? Because at a time when America's traditional values are under attack, it's the responsibility of righteous journalists to uphold truth 
and tradition. The stories that need to be told, the voices that need to be heard, the truth you need to see. Get unbiased and in-depth news. Don't miss a beat. I'm Stephanie Cox at NTD. We're here for you. Welcome back. High stakes contract talks between United Parcel Service and the powerful Teamsters Union, which represents hundreds of thousands of UPS workers. Talks turned even more bitter yesterday, with both sides accusing the other of ending negotiations. Here's the story. The twist comes as the two try to reach an agreement that would prevent a strike when the current contract expires at the end of the month. The Teamsters Union accused UPS of having walked away from negotiations after workers unanimously rejected an earlier offer. UPS claimed the Teamsters have stopped negotiating, despite UPS's, quote, historic offer that builds on our industry-leading pay. After missing out on wage increases during the health crisis, unions are now pushing back on contract offers from companies grappling with labor shortages as they seek higher pay and better working conditions. The Teamsters have already authorized a strike should no deal be reached before the contract expires, which could put millions of daily deliveries at risk. Such a labor action would be the first since 1997 for UPS workers in a strike that lasted 15 days. UPS says it wants a deal that will satisfy workers, customers and investors while enabling the company to fend off non-unionized competitors like FedEx and Amazon as delivery demand cools. Shares of UPS were down roughly 2 percent in Wednesday trading. Special Counsel Jack Smith has recently subpoenaed the Arizona Secretary of State's office. It's in connection to two lawsuits, one filed by former President Trump's campaign, the other by former Arizona Republican Party Chair Kelly Ward. Both lawsuits involved claims of error in Arizona election results. The Washington Post reported on July 1st that Trump in 2020 called then-Arizona Governor Duck Ducey to pressure him over the outcome of the election. The report cited unnamed sources who said Trump asked Ducey to find fraudulent votes in Arizona. Special Counsel Jack Smith is in charge of two criminal investigations into Trump. One involves classified documents. The other relates to the January 6th Capitol breach. Trump on July 4th said the indictments and election interference allegations against him were controlled by an out-of-control and very corrupt DOJ and FBI. TikTok, the Chinese-owned social media platform yesterday, asked a U.S. judge to block enforcement of an upcoming Montana state ban. The ban on the app is set to take effect on January 1st, 2024. TikTok, which is owned by China's ByteDance, first filed suit in May of this year. The company argues that the ban, which is unprecedented, violates the First Amendment free speech rights of the company and users. TikTok also argues the ban is invalid because it pertains to a federal government issue. U.S. lawmakers have repeatedly tried to ban the app, which is used by nearly half of the U.S. population. It is estimated that close to 400,000 people use TikTok in Montana, or just over a third of its population. Facebook parent Meta officially launched its new app called Threads yesterday. The app is meant to rival Twitter. It's built as a text-based version of Instagram and allows users to bring along followers from the photo-sharing platform. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the new app. 
MetaSets Threads provides a new, separate space for real-time updates and public conversations. The function has been Twitter's core selling point all along. But does the new app pose a threat to Twitter? Instagram has 2 billion users compared to around 250 million uh, of Twitter, so it's about 10 times bigger already. So if, if only 1 in 10 Instagram users tries using threads, it's overtaken Twitter in the blink of an eye. Andrew Selipak, a social media professor at the University of Florida, told NTD that the idea of threads being a Twitter killer is overhyped. We've seen this before with Mastodon, with Blue Sky, with True Social, with Parler. Everything's supposed to be a Twitter killer. Now, the difference is that those companies didn't have the financials that Meta does. But at the end of the day, you're still asking people to kind of make a huge switch, to go from the thing they're comfortable with to something completely new. And with the rare exception of TikTok, that often doesn't happen. The app went live Wednesday in Apple and Google Android app stores in over 100 countries. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg says the app passed 5 million signups in the first four hours. Early celebrity users include chef Gordon Ramsay and pop star Shakira. The company says its vision for the app is for it to be more focused on text and dialogue, modeled after what Instagram has done for photo and video. Posts are limited to 500 characters and can include links, photos, and videos up to five minutes long. There are buttons to like, repost, reply to, or quote a thread, along with counters that show the number of likes and replies a post has. Instagram users can log in with their existing usernames and follow the same accounts on the new app. New users have to set up an Instagram account. But Meta's new offering is raising data privacy concerns. According to its data privacy disclosure on the App Store, Threads collects a wide range of personal information, including health, financial, contacts, browsing and search history, location data, purchases, and sensitive info. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Stay tuned. Some breaking news overnight on Russian mercenary chief Yevgeny Prigozhin. The Wagner boss is reportedly back in Russia, and a Russian attack in Ukraine kills four and injures 34 others. We have those details. Hong Kong continues to crack down on freedom. Authorities took four people into custody Wednesday for allegedly helping overseas dissidents. That's after the break. Good to have you back with us. Some breaking news overnight. Russia's mercenary chief Yevgeny Prigozhin is back in Russia and currently in St. Petersburg. That's according to Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko. Lukashenko told reporters today of the mercenary chief's whereabouts. He also said that Wagner troops are at their camps and have remained there since the mutiny last month. The Belarusian president helped broker a deal for Prigozhin to end his rebellion against Moscow. That was in exchange for security guarantees for himself and his soldiers and permission to move to Belarus. Lukashenko said last week that Prigozhin was in Belarus. In Ukraine today, officials say four people were killed in a cruise missile attack in Lviv. 34 people were injured. Lviv's mayor says it is the largest attack on the city's civilian infrastructure since the war started. To unpack what is going on right now regarding Prigozhin and the situation in Ukraine, we're joined live by Adrian Kubitsky, Poland's Consul General in New York. It's great to have you with us. Adrian, can you tell us how the dynamics of the war in Ukraine are changing now that Prigozhin is said to be back in Russia and there's the possibility of Wagner troops being stationed in Belarus? 
Well, I think that we have to treat it very seriously since we know that this particular group, the Wagner Group, is a group consisting of people without limits, the prisoners, people who have really nothing to lose. Uh, they already written uh, some of the most uh, tragic and most brutal parts of the history, fighting in the wars in Syria and many conflicts in Africa. And also, uh, they proved to be no different uh, fighting on the side of Russians, uh, where the most dirty job has to be done. And this is how Putin utilized this group uh, during this invasion of Ukraine. Now, we still don't know what happened uh, during that uh, uh, alleged march um, uh, towards Moscow and what was the reason of it and what will be the eventual outcome of it. But we do see certain coincidences um, that move of the Wagner people to Belarus comes together with the announcement of relocation uh, of some of the nuclear tactical weapons, Russian weapons uh, to, to Belarus. Is it connected or not? This is still too early to determine, but this is definitely concerning. And apparently Russia is gaining, this is very unfortunate, gaining um, uh, some wind um, again with their invasion, um, with this tragic information from today's morning about this missile attack in Lviv. Uh, our deepest condolences to the families and the victims. Just a tragedy. And Andre, you mirror what Polish President Andre Duda said, that the possible arrival of Wagner forces in Belarus is really serious and very concerning. He hopes that Wagner would be brought up at the July 11th NATO summit in Vilnius, Lithuania. What response do you expect from Poland and NATO if the relocation deal goes through? We have to rethink uh, the architecture of our security system, the NATO security system. Uh, and I think this is another reason, um, another argument why the security of our region of countries, the Central and Eastern Europe, particularly Poland, which is in the middle of it, but also other countries of so-called B9, the Bucharest 9, so the uh, Western, uh, the Eastern flank of NATO countries have to be enhanced. The security of our countries have to be enhanced with the permanent uh, presence of the NATO troops, perhaps with additional uh, equipment, anti-missile systems and uh, whatever is at the disposal of NATO to enhance the security of our region. Because uh, that move um, of the Wagner Group to Belarus, some of the decisions that have been taken uh, or announced, at least announced recently, uh, are definitely moving towards the NATO border. So the threat is increasing rather than decreasing, and it has to be taken under consideration. And I think that it will be. The, the, the Polish uh, President Andrzej Duda uh, Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki are on a con for Polish Foreign Minister are on a constant um, uh, route to to discuss this topic with other leaders. A very recently, very strategic partnership has been signed with uh, the UK with the UK government uh, by our Defence Minister and Foreign Minister. So we're working behind the lens um, on uh, getting ready for for the wars, obviously, because this is what what. what what we are doing, hoping that it's not going to be needed. And Adrian, you established that there are serious concerns there on NATO's eastern flank. Belarus, as you know, was used as a base for Russia's initial invasion. It provided equipment to Russia and used as a launching point for missile attacks in Ukraine. What role do you expect Belarus to play in the war going forward, considering this conceivable relocation of Wagner troops? Let's say that Belarus can still play the positive role in this conflict. Uh, what was a surprise to some extent that Lukashenko for a very long time uh, hesitated 
to uh, fully uh, to, to get fully engaged in this conflict in Ukraine. And obviously, they they were supportive to Russian, but not to the extent that some of the analysts uh, could have expected. Is this changing? The Wagner Group relocation is changing, or this is just uh, for for purely uh, security guarantees for the Wagner participants for their march uh, towards Moscow, or maybe still Putin is willing to use them? And this is some tactical move to move them Belarus. It's still not determined, but I think our appeal is that Lukashenko still can go the way uh, of the positive role in this conflict. If we can speak that way, it's it's a little bit strange, but uh, not getting engaged more in helping Russia uh, commit other atrocities. A lot of uncertainties and a lot of moving parts here. Adrian Kubiski, the Council General of Poland in New York, thank you so much for your analysis on this. Thank you very much. We're now going to some short headlines from around the world. A tragedy in Mexico this week. A bus crashed into a ravine and killed at least 29 people. Close to 20 were injured. The bus was traveling from Mexico City when the driver is believed to have lost control. The ravine the bus fell into is over 60 feet deep. A powerful summer storm lashed the Netherlands yesterday, killing at least two people. Travel was severely disrupted. In Amsterdam, several people were injured as dozens of trees toppled onto cars and houseboats along the city's canals. One gust was recorded at just over 90 miles per hour. Three climate change protesters were arrested after they interrupted play twice at Wimbledon yesterday. There are orange ticker-shaped mixed with jigsaw puzzle pieces during a men's singles match. Security staff quickly removed the individuals, one of whom sat down cross-legged on the turf. The crowd booed the protesters, with some heard shouting, get off. The UK central bank has started referring to mothers as a birthing parent in its official family leave policy. Controversial LGBT lobby group Stonewall in a report praised the Bank of England for the move, but it urged it to use more gender-neutral terms. Hong Kong National Security Police arrested four people on Wednesday for allegedly aiding overseas dissidents. They were also accused of advocating for Hong Kong's independence from China. Here are the details. Two sources with knowledge of the matter told Reuters that Ivan Lem, the former chairman of the now-disbanded pro-democracy group Demosisto, was among those arrested. In a statement, police said they arrested four men for suspected conspiracies to foreign collusion and doing acts with seditious intent. The four were suspected of receiving funds from operating companies, social platforms and mobile applications to support people who have fled overseas and continue to engage in activities that endanger national security. Police did not name the suspects or provide details of the alleged offences. Local media, citing unnamed sources, connected the arrested people to an app known as Punish Me a platform available on the Apple and Google Play stores that congregates businesses that support the pro-democracy movement. The arrests came just two days after the Hong Kong police made a high-profile announcement that it had issued warrants and bounties for eight overseas-based activists over national security-related offences. Hong Kong Chief Executive John Lee said on Tuesday that the aid would be pursued for life. And more news for you coming up. Ransomware criminals are dumping kids' private files online after hacking schools. 
And ice cream company Ben & Jerry's made waves saying the U.S. should return the National Memorial to Native Americans, Mount Rushmore, and the rest of the country as well. Good to have you back with us. Ice cream maker Ben & Jerry's is facing calls for a Bud Light-style boycott. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on the significant social media backlash to the company's July 4th comments that the U.S. exists on stolen land that should be returned. The company wrote on Twitter, Ah, the 4th of July. Who doesn't love a good parade, some tasty barbecue, and a stirring fireworks display? The only problem with all that, though, is that it can distract from an essential truth about this nation's birth. The U.S. was founded on stolen indigenous land. The Post continued to say, this year, let's commit to returning it. Here's why we need to start with Mount Rushmore. The company wrote that the land on which Mount Rushmore sits was seen as sacred to the Native American tribes, adding that the government broke its treaties with the Lakota and other tribes in the mid-19th century. The series of posts drew an immediate and sharp backlash from users. Country singer-songwriter John Rich wrote in response that Ben & Jerry should give all their stores to the Native American tribes that originally owned those zip codes. Jenna Ellis, a former attorney to Donald Trump, wrote on Twitter, When is Ben & Jerry's giving up their land? Psychologist and academic Jordan Peterson wrote, Looks like someone is looking hard for a Budweiser moment. And Babylon Bee writer Ashley St. Clair also mocked the company on Twitter, saying, You stole the milk from cows to make your ice cream. Checkmate. The Washington Examiner called on Americans to try and turn the tide against the company adding that Ben & Jerry's would never actually give back the land its corporate office sits on and will just put pressure on others to give up their land. Ben & Jerry's is owned by Unilever. A table of the top 10 owners of Unilever shows BlackRock in second position. BlackRock has been accused of forcing companies to meet ESG targets. In a clip here from 2017, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink discusses how the investment management company puts pressure on companies to change their behavior. You have to force behaviors. And if you don't force behaviors, whether it's gender or race or just any way you want to say the composition of your team, you're going to be impacted. The top 10 mutual funds holding Unilever PLC show variations of Vanguard and BlackRock in four out of the top five. BlackRock and Vanguard are two of the big three passive fund asset management firms. The third is State Street. And it is owned by BlackRock, whose largest shareholder is Vanguard. NTD reached out to Unilever, but didn't hear back by broadcast time. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Ransomware criminals are dumping kids' private files online after school hacks. The confidential documents describe student sexual assaults, psychiatric hospitalizations, abusive parents, and even suicide attempts. Complete sexual assault case documents were among more than 300,000 files dumped online in March. This after the Minneapolis Public Schools refused to pay a $1 million ransom. Other exposed data included medical records and discrimination complaints. Schools are prime targets for criminal hackers due to their extensive digitized data. School districts may also have lax security due to inadequate funding. 
The new movie release of Sound of Freedom had its opening premiere on Tuesday. The movie, which delves into the horrors of human trafficking, surpassed Disney's new release of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, as well as others. The long-anticipated movie from Angel Studios grossed more than $14 million after its opening screening on Tuesday, over $2.5 million of which came from pay-it-forward tickets sold. It earned the top spot as America's number one movie on Independence Day. The film is based on a true story. It follows the journey of a former Homeland Security agent played by actor Jim Caviezel, who went on a quest to rescue abducted children worldwide. The movie has garnered particular attention due to not being a major studio production. Further interest was sparked by the casting of Caviezel, who previously featured in the 2004 epic movie The Passion of the Christ. Sound of Freedom also features Academy Award winner Mira Servino. You quit your job and you go and rescue those kids. So at this moment, she could be a block down the road or she could be in Moscow, Bangkok, LA. When God tells you what to do, you cannot hesitate. Sound of Freedom was shot in 2018 in Cartagena, Colombia. It was produced by 20th Century Fox. When Disney acquired the studio in 2019, they decided to shelve the film. Angel Studios in Utah picked up the movie after negotiations and securing enough funds. And in other news, nearly half the tap water in the U.S. is contaminated with chemicals known as forever chemicals. That's according to a new study from the U.S. Geological Survey. Scientists collected water samples directly from taps at over 700 private wells and public sources. Based on their findings, they estimate at least one forever chemical would be detected in 45% of U.S. drinking water samples. There are more than 12,000 types of such chemicals. The number of people drinking contaminated water may be even higher than what the study found. That's because the researchers weren't able to test for all of the PFAS chemicals, which are considered dangerous to human health. The family of synthetic chemicals linger in the environment and the human body, and exposure is linked to cancer, obesity, thyroid disease, high cholesterol, decreased fertility, liver damage, and hormone suppression. Anyone hoping to travel abroad better make sure to get their passports in plenty of time. Right now, estimated processing time for a new passport is 10 to 13 weeks. You can speed that up to 7 to 9 weeks by paying $60 for an expedited process the State Department says it's working to process applications faster, but officials don't expect to get back to pre-pandemic processing times until the end of the year. Part of that is due to a surge in demand. An online renewal system that millions of current passport holders could use is expected to launch by the end of the year. And be careful when you swim near New York City. A school of sharks was captured by drone video on Tuesday. About 50 sharks were sighted at Robert Moses State Park Beach on Long Island. Authorities say they are increasing their shark patrol teams after five people were bitten by what they call are calling a large marine animal. Officials are hesitant to say if all five of the bites were shark-related. That's because the victims nor anyone nearby saw any sharks. But they do say the bites are most likely accidents from sharks feeding on fish. The victims all suffered minor lacerations. 
Officials are urging those who go into the water to remain vigilant. Yes, stay safe out there. And coming up, what if hardship could be seen as an opportunity to grow from? We speak to the author of the book, Value, Celebration, Value Creation Kid, to hear about his healthy struggles philosophy. Stay tuned. Welcome back. What if we would see our struggles in life as an opportunity to grow and learn from? According to author and entrepreneur Lee Benson, if this is instilled in kids at an early age, it will benefit them immensely later in life. He wrote the book Value Creation Kid, The Healthy Struggles Your Children Need to Succeed. He told us more about this. Yeah, value creation, we, we think about it in three buckets. My co-author, uh, Scott Donald, and I frame it as material value, emotional energy value, and spiritual value. And we believe the purpose of an education is to create value in the world. Well, what is that? And every kid has their value creation superpower. They may not even know what it is. It's yet to be discovered. But if we talk about it that way, and so material value can be money, it can be things accumulated, emotional energy value. Um, when you walk into a room, do you uplift everybody's energy or do you take it down? Uh, we were talking about music earlier. If you write a song that uplifts folks, you have the opportunity to create amazing emotional energy value in the world. And then on the spiritual side, that means something different to everyone. Um, love, connectedness, you know, whatever that happens to be. Can you share some concrete examples from your life, maybe, you know, that um, how healthy struggles have, what, what they have taught you as a kid and in your life, life lessons, oh, sure. basically? Yeah, sure. The, the, the short um, part of this, I came from a very low-income family, and it was a bit of a toxic and dangerous environment. But around seven years old, I had a neighbor ask me unsolicited, would you pull weeds in my garden for 25 cents an hour? I said, absolutely, I'll do that. And back then you could buy two candy bars and have change. I mean, this was 1968. So that was fantastic. It was hard work and I thought, okay, this is good. I did it every couple of weeks. What else can I do? So fast forward, um, after a cook, I played in a rock and roll band and I made most of my money that way in the 1980s. Um, I'm on my seventh business now that I've started from scratch. I've had exits from a few million to well into nine figures. And all I did starting at seven years old is jumped on that value creation struggle cycle. It's definitely not trauma. This is necessary to build you know, capabilities, um, but you do it enough times, you trust it that, wow, that really worked. And then you have the confidence to do anything you want. I was kicked out of my house at the beginning of my senior year in high school, and it was a non-event for me. I was already financially independent. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Never felt like a victim through any of it. And from what I understand, you were saying is that you start small, right? And then with, um, and then those hurdles get bigger and you learn how to deal with them naturally? Or, I mean, how do parents um, help kids through these struggles and making sure that, um, you know, years down the road, they're fine with whatever lies throws at them? Yeah, that, that's such a great question. Well, we have to start where they're at. You can't give them a struggle that's way too big for them, you know, big of a step for them to take. So start where they're at. And, and even before kindergarten, if you're just talking about value creation and what is everybody's job for the family in, in the house, and, and here's your job, you're gonna brush your teeth, you're gonna make your bed, you're gonna do your homework, you know, et cetera. And then over time, you pick up additional responsibilities 
um, and you're going to pick up more of your own expenses over time. And now let's let's give these children an opportunity to earn extra money so they can learn to manage money, how to save it, how to share it, spend it, et cetera. And, and as you're doing this, you're taking bigger and bigger steps um, until they launch out of high school. And hopefully by then they're fully financially uh, competent. But start where they're at. They're going to struggle a little bit. Be okay with that. Um, the fact that you love them is never in question. This is about developing them to be these self-reliant, value-creating adults. They're going to be amazing in the world and make it a better place. Everything they do ideally would be about creating better conditions to work, live, learn, and play for themselves, their family, the communities that they engage with. So imagine that, and and my co-author and I, um, our, our mission here is to get to millions of families and launch these kids into these value-creating adults. That will make an amazing difference in the world for all of us, because selfishly, I want to live in an incredible world. When I talk to groups of kids, I tell them, and it's true, you're going to be running the world that I age out in, and I want it to be amazing. All right, thank you so much, Lee Benson. I really appreciate your time today and for sharing this. Thank you, Evelyn. It's great to be here. You know, Evelyn, I really found that fascinating. He was talking about 25 cents an hour. Imagine that back then. That's a lot of money. It is, especially for a kid. And whatever he talks about, I think that it's important, right, to build character. But also, there is a clear differentiation between healthy struggles and just trauma. So there is, like, the balance that needs to be striked. That is a good point. You know, and he does talk about money management, and that is a really important thing to teach kids. I just don't know why they don't teach it in schools at that oh, age. Oh, yeah, good question. Yeah, they teach you home ec, how to cook, but... How to manage money is important, too. That's right. Yeah. And value creation, smile. I think that's a good way to <laughs> yeah. bring a little value. And it does really cause a lot of struggle. Yeah, I think so. I mean, something to think about. Mm -hmm. All right. Today's program ends here. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. Shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.